Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where you find us returning to our regular format of uh, two of us chewing over items of interest that have caught our eye from the last week or so's news. Uh, by the two of us, I mean on my left, Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst, and me, oh, I'm Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst. And if you'd like to know more about what you hear us talking about, then please do pop along to the Hotel Analyst website, hotelanalyst.co.uk, uh, where you can find out a bit more about what our subscribers get to read about in great detail. This week we're going to start off by having a look at uh, the kind of resort marketplace and in particular the German tour group TUI which uh, has been having a pretty dreadful pandemic uh, and has come back to uh, to its shareholders tapping them for a little bit more money um, doing a 1.1 billion euro equity fundraise which I'm sure they hope will be their, their last to uh, straighten out their tattered finances and put them back in a position where they can start taking advantage of returning to some sort of normal uh, and getting people away on holidays again. Uh, They've uh, done not too badly, I think, through this summer. Things have been picking nicely up, though, of course, it will be in no way uh, anywhere near the level of business they had back in 2018 or 2019. Uh, But they have at least uh, now, I guess, uh, they'd like to think they've turned the corner and uh, are starting to take some cash and hopefully can be eyeing up uh, returning it to the black. Um, th- they've kind of also been shuffling their hotel ownership pack um, and that comes as various other major hotel brand groups are eyeing the resort space and um, making some of them tentative, some of them quite big steps into branding up um, resorts and all-inclusive properties. Um, for a lot of the American domiciled brand groups, that means as places in Mexico and the Caribbean to feed to the American leisure market. But uh, there's also quite a bit going on, also a bit nearer to where we are in Europe too. So, uh, <laughs> Andrew, do you think I'm right in saying that that's, this is hopefully Tui's last uh, cap-in-hand moment? Yeah, probably. I mean, it was uh, quite a, an emergency rights issue, to be fair. I mean, it, um, but ironically, the the share price didn't um, I, I, it, it reflect just how serious a, a, a fundraising this was. I think probably because most people are expecting them to to come to market and to, um, to raise just over one billion euros is is a pretty you know chunky amount um, what's going on at Chewy is a bit odd isn't it when you think <laughs> the received wisdom in this uh, pandemic is that leisure is booming and there is some dispute over business travel if you are Europe's biggest tour operator entirely sort of pretty much entirely leisure yeah. um, you'd think you'd be doing all right um, well, I guess so yeah yeah I mean if you compare like, you compare with all the staycation uh, businesses around uh, uh, the coastal areas of, of European countries who've been booming this summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you'd think you know if you're chewy, it should be okay, but it is not the case. Um, and in fact, you know, as you said, they've had a pretty tough time now. Um, I, I looked at some research done by analysts at Morgan Stanley and they, they pulled together um, they just just in the UK market they looked at the number of atoll licenses and that's the insurance scheme um, for consumers if you if you're booking with a tour operator and the applications for that have to be made a year ahead and that's a good indication of uh, where you're at in terms of your expectations so 
overall uh, Morgan Stanley this is looking at the top five tour operators in the UK um, it, it was around about the same level as um, in terms of at all licenses as, as historically has been the case um, d but TUI is down and there's a couple of uh, newcomers um, well not newcomers as such but smaller players who 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 are significantly up love holidays and easyjet holidays um, have uh have put on a significant growth spurt now i think from a hotelier perspective this is good news because i think when tui was coming into the market we saw the demise of thomas cook uh we saw monarch airlines going it just looked like it was more and more consolidation and effectively we're going to end up with pretty much a monopoly um mm. so i think it's quite good news that <clears throat> the biggest player is weaker and the uh, the smaller players have actually got a bit stronger during this period so i think um net net that's probably a a, a good thing um and 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 that has two on the back foot um also it, it's uh um, you know what we're seeing because you know it's all hands to the cash pump as far as um, Tui's been concerned. So they're flogging off anything they can to mm. try and raise some money, including as you mentioned, they've they've now gone to sort of a asset light, asset right. I'm not quite sure how they're spinning it. Mm. Um, in, um, but but they are certainly selling up some of their. I mean, they've already exited one J quite major JV and they're they're looking to realise some other hotel assets and clearly signal that they that you know what they had been planning um which was a, a, a you know quite a significant vertical integration they're exiting that and that again gives opportunities for hoteliers um you know if you if you want to fill your rooms up with a few TUI guests that's looking much more likely to you're going to be able to do that plus of course you've got these other comers now into the market who are rising quicker than TUI and th th they will be a good bet as well and you can play one one off against the other so i think that's all good news i think from a from a hotel perspective um uh, overall um i think tui is clearly going to be around they're they're not going to go bust they're not going to do a thomas cook on us um so that that's good news in itself in that we're not going to see the total chaos and collapse um that that would result if tui did go um so it, it's kind of good news and you know you know what's better than having um, no competitors is actually having a weak competitor and mm. um, you wouldn't argue necessarily that two is a competitor to hoteliers but it's certainly you know to see a a big buyer have its grip on the market significantly loosened is good news so um so i you know, I, I switched your headline on this story to um, Chris to TUI dilutes its grip, um, referencing the share dilution mm. it's done with this fundraise, but um, also I think the dilution in grip in terms of the rise of its rivals. Mm. Now uh, we've had some the first set of results from one of the big uh, global hotel brand groups, uh, Intercontinental Hotels. They were first out of the blocks this quarter round. And we've been taking a look at uh, the numbers and also what they had to say about how business is, is coming back. And um, the, the interesting point, I think, initially was that uh, they had a stronger summer than they expected. Uh, and some of this was, was led by uh, the return of business travellers, um, I think notably in the US. Um, but uh, you know, the finance director, Paul Edgecliffe Johnson, uh, pronounced himself surprised by what he'd seen and um, surprised the level of pricing that he was able to achieve from the leisure guests which has uh, meant that 
the numbers start, are starting to look quite good. Uh, the other sort of interesting takeaway from their, their quarterly results was that they um, once again for another quarter have achieved net unit growth of, uh, of about zero. And that's because in the States they're still having a clear out of some of their older holiday inns and crown plazas. Uh, as fast as they're, they're opening new hotels elsewhere in the world, they're, they're disposing of the, uh, the tired and the tatty in the United States. So their portfolio is kind of subtly switching, uh, becoming a little bit more international because um, uh, that clear out continues. They said that will all be done by the end of this year and they'll resume growth to four or five percent uh, before very long. Me, I just felt a bit sorry for those poor owners of holiday inns in the States who have been told, uh, here's the good news, you can spend lots of money to bring your property up to standard, or alternatively the bad news is goodbye. Um, you know, just when they've been through a pandemic, I'm sure that's the letter they didn't want to have or the conversation they didn't want to have. Yeah, um, well, it'd be interesting to, to watch how much, um, and what we have seen is that the the, the IHG sort of um, people that have been kicked out, those those hotels which have been kicked off um, the IHG's um, brand family have, have ended up in the likes of, say, Choice or Best Western or... Um, Wyndham. Wyndham, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, indeed. So, and, and that could well be, uh, uh, you know, that would be where they're heading. So, if they're going towards, I mean, they're talking about a normalised rate of exits, um, which is pretty high, actually. One point seven percent is what the, the number they mentioned for exits. Um, but it, what it does show is a determination at IHG to keep a clear and clean brand portfolio. Yeah, I mean they could have they I could have easily turned around during the pandemic and, and let everyone off for a for a couple of years. Yeah, um, yeah, so. yeah. But that doesn't and and of all of the global brand majors, I would suggest that uh, IHG are perhaps the most responsive to uh, the owner community. They have uh, the most transparent uh, owners group. Um, and they have regular meetings with them um and i i think that that you know they are have historically shown much uh better awareness of of that relationship than than their their global mm. peers it's interesting that actually that some of that pressure has been coming from within the owner community that they want the laggards to get booted off because it drags down the standards across the piece you're only as good as your weakest link in the cliche but going back to the key point i think it's the three r's always with uh with with one of these um global brand majors that drives their profitability so it, it, it's um it's all about uh, revpar it's about um growth rate and it's about the royalty rate so it's those are the three r's now in terms of rev par obviously that's much more dependent on the overall uh, market um you can, of course you outperform accordingly but um it, it's hard to do anything too spectacular there um and royalty rate really is a function of what goes on in terms of this net unit growth which we bang on about a lot here at hotel analyst this nug thing i think is the the point of distinction between the global brand majors and um clearly ihg wants to do something about its pretty poor performance with nug over the last few years and it's saying it's going to as you just said chris get into that four to five percent uh mark which means it's going to have to in terms of gross numbers it's going to have to be signing sort of mid um high um well high single digit uh uh levels of 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 expansion in it in it in its uh 
system. Um, that's, that's quite tough when you've got a system as big as IHGs. Um, so it's not surprising that they've added vignettes to its brand portfolio, a nice conversion brand that will help that. It's got Voco as well to, to help with that, that conversion piece. Um, it's also optimistic in terms of its holiday in and avids that they take their relatively quickly um, you know out of the ground so it's, it's optimistic there to, to, to make some good headway with its uh, its its net openings over the next uh, few years um, so I, I think overall this is a pretty good uh, um, situation um, a couple of points first um, it's really weird when you've got a recovery where the main discussion point is about how um customers are now coming and discussing that they want to lock in lower prices because they're fearing rapid price increases usually what happens is we build up occupancy and then prices start going up um, we're not seeing that this time around we're seeing occupancy spouting back almost immediately and prices just being you know pushed up quite significantly mm. and 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 what you quoted paul edgecliffe johnson saying about how they were well up um on 2019 in in some markets in the leisure markets particularly um it's quite a, a an unusual it's well it, it's a weird recovery yeah. actually we just never seen anything like it to to have that um the second point i think is this 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 nug thing in terms of delivering that growth it's going to be the return of the debt markets as those smaller independent owners start taking on these brands they need um, high street particularly in europe it's the high street banks who have to get back into the market and start start putting out putting out that new debt finance we're we're you know we're not there yet we're quite away from that despite what they might claim that they're in the market you know very few people are saying that they've been able to borrow money for development and it could take a while but uh, i suspect just as we're seeing a very quick uh, recovery a really weird recovery i think we could well see um um, debt providers actually raise their game a lot quicker than they historically do and get back into the market and putting money out into a market um as the trading um looks you know robust and has come back so i think once credit committees can be convinced that yeah this is a sector that's worth saying in mm. um which hopefully by q1 q2 of next year um we'll have the evidence for that um i think we're going to see um a very fast um expansion of nugs so um yeah um high high single digits at the very least i think to to be one of the best mm. well of course the education said you know they're, they're absolutely looking forward to signing lots more hotels uh and um they're convinced that you know if you've got a if you've got a brand signature a brand commitment then you should be able to get along to your high street bank and get your development finance but yeah like you say not this week yeah. Now then, we've uh, been listening uh, uh, to several webinars, uh, several commentaries uh, recently over what they think the outlook looks like. Particularly, uh, this was uh, around the UK market, but I guess much of it will also apply to the trajectory in other European markets as well. We've heard from uh, consultants PwC who do an annual outlook for what they think the uh, UK hotel market is going to look like over the next year. And we also heard uh, from some of the other advisors. Uh, HVS organised a panel which included uh, the restructuring specialist Alex, Par Alex Partners 
and also um, law firm Bird and Bird. So some thoughts on um, where the market's likely to be heading over the next few months, some thoughts about where there might be a bit more restructuring activity. Um, PwC have produced three kind of scenarios, uh, small, medium and large, depending on uh, your view on how the market is going to recover around the pace of business travel coming back, whether there might be another wobble from the government over uh, the the coronavirus. Um, so they've, they've laid out where they see things moving uh, in the UK, in the London market and in the UK regional markets over the next year. But it all looks uh, broadly positive. You know, it's just the... Uh, the the shape of the graph or perhaps the uh, the angle of the graph that's that's different uh what struck me when when i listened to their presentation and heard the details was they had uh, frank croston from hamilton hotel partners also speaking alongside them and he was delivering some numbers from his own um, spreadsheets uh real world stuff to do with what's happening in his own uk hotels right now and seemed overwhelmingly more positive than the consultants in terms of what's looking likely over the next few months yeah that the, the slide that i really uh, stuck out at me when i was looking at the pwc presentation um, was the one on historical performance on historical revpar performance um, and if you look at 91 um, the the crash then 2001 the crash then 2009 the crash then the recoveries were very muted um, you know they were sort of half if not less than half of what they had previously been as they come into the recovery mm. pit um, this time around you look at what's forecast it's a massive recovery mm. it's the sharpest recovery we've well, ever cause, seen cause you haven't got consumers um, who are hard up have you by and large you haven't got businesses yeah. that are hard up um, either um, you know uh, business balance sheets are stronger than they were mm. uh, probably not in our sector but <laughs> across all yeah. businesses um, on average they are stronger and so uh, absolutely Chris this is no normal recovery and I think trying to you know I don't envy their situation you know they've got their um, their model where they're trying to pump in numbers to get the forecasts out but um, it, it's almost meaningless because um, you know previous recoveries just are, are completely different to the one we're currently seeing mm. now um, and just as you know Frank Croston one of the, our best operators um, is saying look we've got this massive rapid pace of recovery I think this is the thing that we, we've got to focus on um, I, I suspect that uh, what we will see is uh, a, a slight difference this time in that because of other challenges like costs um, particularly labor costs but also fuel and food mm -hmm. prices going up um, managers are going to have to be uh, you know, they can't rely on that 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 in that cliche the the rising tide floating all boats i mean i think we're going to find out there's a few boats which are uh, still a <laughs> bit leaky as as yeah. the tide comes in um and if you're a sharp operator like frank i i think you're going to do do well i think it's the others who are going to going to suffer um the other i mean we, we're sort of covering two of our stories in what you won't mm. go here um and the second story you you looked at, um, Chris, which was this 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 uh, webinar, which had um, Alex Partners, and you know when when are we going to start seeing some deals mm. get done? Um, um, and and I think it, it, it's all hinged again. It's it, it's back to the debt providers when they start yeah. pulling the plugs. Yeah on 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 you know capital structures, which frankly are never going to 
when that yeah, period of grace and comes to happen. an end for that covenant uh yeah well, i think that, i think that's gonna and and i think you know they're saying q1 q2 yeah. and i think that's a consistent theme we're mm. hearing q1 q2 we're gonna start seeing that we're gonna start seeing this trade um some people are sort of getting very excited about the inflation issue i think we are going to see quite significant inflation um we're just about to talk about the budget i think but um that um we were recording this literally as the the uk chancellor rishi sunak sat down um the same same wednesday afternoon um but um the forecast for the uk inflation was over four percent i think we're going to see some of that um i think it's probably going to be last a bit longer than many people think but i don't think we're going to see as rapid a rise in interest rates as um some are fearing and i think some of this people get over excited about interest rate rises and what's going on so um without getting too technical but um we can talk out like the sort of standard benchmark for government bonds is the uk 10-year guilt um and that's up over 350 percent in the past year which sounds oh my goodness we're going to hell in a handbasket mm. but it's actually today it was just 1.07 percent which is historic phenomenally low um, and it's lower than where it was say in 2018 significantly lower than where it was in 2018 so we can hyperventilate about this and I think whilst yes it's going to go up I don't think it's going to go up massively and I think we're still going to be in you know even as we get towards the peak of this current upturn I think we're going to be um, seeing debt pricing which is still in you know historically still at historically low levels relatively low levels certainly say maybe within the the bottom decile maybe bottom two deciles of of what historically we've seen so um i'm not too uh, fearful about interest rate rises um even with this inflation i just, just don't think governments given their massive debt burdens governments just can't afford to let interest mm. rates go up too much and um, unless we see significantly entrenched inflation that actually looks like it's going to get out of control um, I just don't see them taking that much action I think they'll just live with it and in many ways it helps everybody and that it inflates away um, debt burden so that's uh, uh, you know a, a good thing and, and I think from a government perspective as long as um, um, things like wages are increasing faster than prices um, it won't be such a bad thing either so it, it's that gap all the time and and just as it's always the gap in the yield gap as we repeatedly say it's the yield gap between what property yields are and what bond yields are they're going to close a bit but i don't think we're going to get close to them crossing over which is always the, the forerunner of a major crash um and until we get to that point i think we're we're, we're set fair and i think we've got a quite a few years ahead of um, us which are looking pretty good at the moment so now let's go back to a little bit more detail on the uh, on that budget from Rishi Sunak. Andrew, you're going to award five stars and no stars this week to uh, a couple of his his headlines, I believe. Or should I say the substance behind his yes. marvellous headlines? Yeah, yeah, well, we have yet to dive into the details, but the sort of gut reactions from what he said was, you know, I, I don't feel he's really grappled with, and this is very UK specific stuff, but um, I don't feel he's he's grappled with the business rates issue here in the UK enough. I mean, there were some tentative signs of reform, there's a, um, a few things 
um, things thrown at the hospitality sector on this but uh, um, I don't think it's going to be enough I think a, a broader more fundamental review of, of business rates is going to be necessary I think that's been completely ducked so it's a no stars for that also a no stars although he's tried to headline the fact that he was um, decreasing or halving um, advanced passenger duty uh, air passenger duty sorry um, for um, domestic flights in the UK is actually increasing it for the long haul um, and you know it, it's a significant and it, it was ten percent or so increase for that, um, which is I think bad news. So it's no stars for those two things, but um, five stars inevitably uh, something which uh, always <laughs> um, makes me happy is him on um, when it comes to alcohol prices. So um, he's frozen the duty increases on alcohol, and interestingly, he's, he's done some stuff which is uh, making it uh, uh, cheaper to go and drink down the pub. So he's he's reduced. Uh, um, what is he's, he's reducing duty on draft beer so if you go and uh, drink um, um, a pint that way um, you, you you there's significant uh, tax incentive to go do that um, so which is absolutely five stars from me <laughs> on that note we'll raise a glass goodbye for now <laughs>